This is Education Matters, brought to you by the Ohio Education Association. Welcome back to Education Matters. I'm Katie Olmstead, part of the communications team for the Ohio Education Association and its 120,000 members. A few OEA members in the Youngstown area were in the spotlight last week. They were selected as honorees for the Spanning the Need podcast's Person of the Week Education Edition. And what one of those members said when answering a question about the biggest professional mistake he's made really stuck with me. Jake Reed, an English teacher at Austintown Fitch High School, said his biggest professional mistake was thinking he had to be what he called super teacher. I could just think, super teacher. However you say it, it is entirely unrealistic, and it can break you as an educator. And I think that's something that really resonates with other educators in Ohio. So we asked Jake to sit down with us to take a deeper dive into the topic. Jake Reed, thank you so much for sitting down with us. What is this super teacher concept that you were talking about? So the super teacher uh, trap, I think, as you called it, that's that's kind of a nice way of putting it, is um, a way of thinking that I think a lot of, especially beginning beginning teachers, kind of fall into. It's this idea that, you know, you go four years of university and you're like, you know, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to, my classroom's going to be like this and my students are going to be like this. And this is how I'm going to run things and everything's going to be perfect. And, you know, despite the fact that your professors and even your field experience kind of tells you like, Hey, that's, that's not how things kind of go in the field. You still have this idea of, you know, how things should be from a sort of theory approach. And what ends up happening is you then have, you then start to get into practice, Right. And you find out that things in practice are sometimes not as they are in theory. Um, And super teacher is definitely like that. You know, we all want to be super teacher. It's this idea that we're going to do things flawlessly and we're going to, you know, I'm going to assign papers and I'm going to grade them all in one night, despite the fact that there's 80 of them. Like, you know, we're just going to push ourselves. And if the only thing I have to sacrifice is my own, you know, time and well-being, then so be it. And I think that that's, That's kind of the center of it is that just never ending self-sacrifice. So what did super teacher look like when you were trying to be super teacher early in your career? So super teacher looked like me. I, I was at the school very late. I mean, granted, my first year teaching assignment was in rural Alaska. So there wasn't a whole lot else for me to do, (laughs) but um, still you, I was at the school very late. I was at the school early. I was doing an insane amount of prepping that even like the heads of departments were looking at what I was doing and going, why are you doing that? You know, why are you, you know, forcing yourself to go through and like try to teach yourself these things before you, you know, go to go to teach the students? Because I was actually teaching a few classes outside of my area of expertise. And I thought I should be an expert in that, you know, I was, I was taught that I should be an expert in that. So I'm over here trying to give myself a university degree in history while also teaching it at the same time. And that's what it looked like a lot, not a whole lot of time for what I wanted to do, what I liked to do. And it just, yeah, it just kind of my, my mood just significantly plummeted from there. Well, as a lifelong perfectionist, I see a lot of 
myself in what you're talking about there, where I, the way you described it on that podcast was just, you know, every lesson was going to be a slam dunk. Every lesson was going to change the world. And you were pouring from an empty cup. Yep. What changed that? How did you get out of that cycle? I think I made it to October and legitimately I was on the phone with the assistant superintendent and I was having the conversation of what happens if I leave in the middle of my contract? Um, and he explained it to me. He, and he even, even told me, look, Jake, it's not uncommon for people to leave, you know, where you're at. Um, but I decided to, to stick it in. Um, and I remember it was because of a conversation I had with my father. And my dad told me, Jake, you have to, my, my, my dad's a business major. So you kind of have to uh, go with me on this one. I knew what he meant, but uh, he used the, the metaphor of Jake, you're a company and you have to do what's best for Jake as a company. You know, if, if you're, you know, if your margins are just like bleeding out and you're not gaining any profit from it, what are you doing? Um, and he said, that kind of sounds like that's what's going on. So you have to do what's best for you moving forward. And he said, eventually, all of the other stuff that you're concerned about, your lessons, the, the grading and all that, that'll follow uh, once you actually start to take care of yourself. And sure enough, he was right. Um it's, it was that, and also kind of the realization that some of my more ad-libbed lessons were better than, than some of my very meticulously planned lessons. I still remember there was a lesson I did about haikus of all things that was like very powerful for the kids. And I, I made up the end. Like I, it was just very, it was very powerful. So I'd say it was those two things that really kind of you know, snapped me out of it. I think a lot of people, a lot of educators I've spoken with are a little hesitant to talk about needing things for themselves. Um, there is this, just this feeling that you have to be super teacher. You are superhero strength and superhero stamina. And every moment of your life is lived for your students. And to take a step back from that is not to say that you don't care about your students. I want to be very clear about that. Mm -hmm. You care so much about your students. You want to actually be a good educator for them, right? Yes. And, and I would even say too, for me, it was the realization of, and, and you're absolutely right. It's trying, trying to word this philosophy I have kind of gets tricky because you're right. You know, with, with, without the kids, without the students, you know, we, we, we'd be out of the job. Well, you just be um, talking to yourself in a room. <laughs> exactly. And like as, as much fun as that is, uh, I don't think anybody would be willing to pay me for that. Um, but the center of why I teach, like my, my mantra, I guess you could call it, is simply because I like teaching. It is, I like sitting down and thinking about you know, what are some misunderstandings that my students might have about this concept I'm going to teach? Or what are some, uh, how can I explain this more easily? Or what's just a, uh, I, I'm like a, a psychopath when it comes to figuring out, like breaking down things for people and trying to make it as simple for them as possible or ease more easily understood. Um, so you're absolutely right. Yeah. At the end of the day, it is, it's about the students, it's about the kids, but it's also about me. Right. I, I get up at the front of the 
of the room because I want to. I want to be there. And the day, if the day ever comes where I don't want to do that, it's probably going to be time for me to start going somewhere else. But, you know, at, at this point in time, tomorrow morning, I want to be there. Well, good. I'm glad your students will have you tomorrow morning and and hopefully the morning after that. It, yeah, hopefully. <laughs> you you got to be more comfortable now. I mean, I think that must have been some level of super teacher coming in is, is you wanted to control everything. Yes. And it's, um, and there, one of the, one of the interesting things about teaching is yes, you do. You want to be able to control things. And I, and I, I'm kind of that same way, Katie, where I, I don't think it's OCD, but it's like when I'm coming up with a, um, you know, a handout or a presentation, I will take that, you know, extra 30 seconds to make sure like the font is exactly the right size and it fits everything on there and it, it looks nice and neat and it doesn't look like I just put it together in the 15 minutes that I had uh, during lunch after I was done eating. But that is a kind of a bit of a point is you have to let go of, you know, you, you, you can't make students do well. A lot of what teaching is, is you are merely building the bridge or opening the doors or whatever other metaphor you want to use, and they have to walk through it. Like, for example, I had, I had an assignment due yesterday. I was absent from school, um, and I thought it was pretty, I thought it was a pretty simple assignment. Boy, howdy, me grading that assignment today was I apparently very wrong. So tomorrow we're going to reopen that door and, you know, kind of nudge them through it. It's being a control freak up to the point when you realize you can't control everything that happens in the classroom. Um, And that's where my other piece of advice from that podcast was, you got to go with the flow sometimes. If you don't, it's not going to go well. It's not going to go over very well. Go with the flow to some extent. I think hearing about what you were doing in rural Alaska uh, teaching a trillion different topics at the same time is trying to be too flexible. Let, mm-hmm. Let's take a big step back in time. Yeah. What? <laughs> like, <laughs> what was going on there? So, um, so you want, you want me to just talk about like my experience essentially. So how did you end up there? That's one of my big questions. And then we'll take it from there. <laughs> yeah, that, that's usually the first one. That or uh, people at, usually ask me, was it cold up there? And go, yes, it was yes. cold. <laughs> um, so I ended up there because um, Kent State University does a really good job of uh, making sure that their graduates uh, at least have some kind of a job prospect after graduating. Um, and they essentially did this where it was like speed dating with school districts. You brought like 15 copies of your resume. You could make appointments or you could walk up to their booths. And it was just like, think of a whole gymnasium just filled with school districts. And you're just popping in for like five minutes, you know, um, interviews. And you're trying to make this like impression on these principals and other, you know, central office people. Um, But the one booth that had my attention was the one that had a fish for a mascot. Um, and that was the Lower Kuskokwim School District. Um, and I walked over and I was like, you're not from Ohio, because I've never heard of this before. Um, and I, I can't remember her name, but she was she was a nice lady. And she was like, yeah, we're, we're in rural Alaska. Uh, our school district is the size of Ohio. 
Um, and, you know, we're always looking for new teachers to come out, have a life experience and, you know, teach students of a native population. So I filled out the little form, which one of the questions, oddly enough, was, were you OK with an incinerator toilet or, you know, something like that? Yeah, there, there was a lot of very <laughs> they really much had to like vet you on this one to be like, will you survive in Alaska? Exactly. And, and lucky, luckily for them, I, I'm an Eagle Scout. So I was like, oh, yeah, that's not a, that's not an issue. Um, and long story short, they, I think, uh, called me about maybe a month or two later, offered me a position. And, you know, that, that just kind of took off from there. Um, so what were you teaching? So my so my primary licensure is in English language arts, seven to twelve. Um, I had two sections of that. I had a British literature course, and I guess it was like a sophomore equivalency class. Beyond that, I was teaching gym. That was fun. Um, <laughs> I was also teaching history, uh, which I did get a little bit of help from our special ed uh, teacher up there because that was actually her background. So I guess I could say I was more co-teaching that. Um, health at one point, also a lot of fun. Um, and I even, there was a point where I taught like a study skills class. And then I also oversaw a culinary arts course. I mean, granted, mainly the curriculum was online, but I was still expected to like put together labs, which that was also a lot of fun, you know, shout, shout out to my mom for teaching me culinary arts. Cause I'd have been lost on that one. But, um, so at, at the end of the day, I had maybe four or five preps. And the thing that comes to mind for me is jack of all trades, master of none. Is better than a master of one. So <laughs> at least that, that's always my reply there. Um, but yes, I did end up becoming uh, a, a sort of jack of all trades. It did give me a lot of leeway to experiment with okay. different things. You know, I, I think one of the things that we don't get to see often enough is you know, I, I don't get to go into a math teacher's room and see how they teach math, or I don't get to go into a history class and see how a history class teaches. So it kind of did give me that opportunity to try out a little different, a little, you know, a lot of different subjects um, and all that. So you went from serving a primarily native population in rural Alaska. Yes. Straight into uh, the urban center in Cleveland, right? Yep. Inner city Cleveland. Uh, what happened there? So I moved back to Ohio. Uh, Alaska was a little too cold for me. Um, moved back to Ohio. I got a job uh, as a high school English teacher working for a charter school at the time called Life Skills Cleveland. I don't think, uh, I, I think the, the charter itself is still around. I don't think they're, they operate in Cleveland or if they do, they don't have as many schools. Um, but I started working there where that was a predominantly online curriculum. Um, the idea was we were a sort of like a credit recovery school. So we, we focused on attracting students who had dropped out of high school for, you know, one reason or the other, or we were trying to help students who was trying to live a more flexible educational lifestyle. Like maybe they had to work because of their family situation, but they still wanted to get a high school degree. That's kind of where our student population was. And so how did that student population and the one you were working with in Alaska, how does that contrast with who you're working with now? So um, it contrasts with who I'm working with now, uh, mainly because now, gosh, 
the the student population that I have right now, sure, there there are some gaps in ability, or there are certainly gaps in knowledge that I have. Like I, so I teach sophomores, so I might have the occasional, you know, um, especially this year with the pandemic and all that, you know, I might have a student coming in where they're more akin to reading at the eighth grade level, or even lower. It it just depends on the kid. Um, when I talk Cleveland and Alaska, we're talking students who are still operating at like a grade level. Uh, that That's how big the gap was. And I still had students who were either, you know, performing at grade level or even beyond it. So trying to differentiate instruction was, it, it, was it was crazy. <laughs> so that's, I would say that that was the big difference between the two. I also think that not to say that my students don't have their own problems in life, but I also, I think that in Alaska, as well as inner city Cleveland, there was definitely more of a um, dire uh, life situations that, you know, students would run into. Uh, that was a little bit more normal than say some of the, some of the things that I see at my current school. Do you think that might've contributed to your super teacher mentality where you you felt like you had to be so much more for them because they needed so much more? Yeah, yes. Um, there, so like if I go back to Alaska, because that's really where I focused on, you know, the, the fact that I realized like, holy smokes, like, you know, I have a student reading at a fourth grade level and he's taking 10th grade English. I got to catch him up um, as well as just a number of other things going on. Um, the realization came to where it wasn't necessarily that I, I guess the realization was like, Jake, you're not going to do that. You're, you're not going to catch them up to 10th grade, not in one year. There's, there's just no way that you're going to be able to do it, but you can still grow him. You know, you could still um, give him the opportunity to show that he's, that he's grown. You can give him the opportunity to, to learn um, one of the things I remind myself even today is not, not only are we supposed to teach students and show growth and do all that data stuff that we go back to our TBTs and we, and we show all that, but it's also to make memories. Um, you know, I really hope looking back on it, it's not that I hope that he learned something. Granted, I do hope that he learned something, but it's more of, did he enjoy his time with me in class? Did I make a memory with him? Was I memorable? Because I think that's where a lot of really good learning takes place. Do you have that in your own experience as a learner? Did you have teachers that um, were very memorable to you who maybe were not that super teacher in that super teacher trap that so many people fall into? Absolutely. I mean, I think that's uh, so. So the school I work at is also my alma mater. Um, so if that tells you anything about the effect that my former teachers had on me, that should be word enough. I mean, you know, um, my 11th grade English teacher, uh, Heather Carcelli, who's not my, who's not my boss, uh, which is a whole lot of fun. I like reminding her where I used to sit in English class and I sit <laughs> there now during, during department meetings, um, you know, her, as well as some of my, my other mentors at the school, you know, do I remember them for their teaching? Eh, sure. Yeah. I remember, I remember quite a bit about transcendentalism, especially now that I've kind of taught it myself. Um, but that's not the part that I remember. I remember them being them. I remember them, I don't want to say putting on a show, but they made the lessons memorable. And it's not engaging. Because the, 
Yeah, because it's not necessarily that the content itself is memorable, but it's that tied to them. I can remember that. Like for kind of going back to 11th grade, I can tell you that, you know, the E for effect is the noun, A for effect is the verb because of this dumb dance that, <laughs> that she would get up there and, and she would, A is the verb, E is the noun, A is the verb, E is the noun. And to this day, that's how I teach it. And I really hope you bring that up during staff meetings. Oh, I do. I do. <laughs> I do very much so all the time. Well, Jake, thank you for sitting down for this meeting with me. Absolutely, Katie. No problem. It was a pleasure. You can find the link to the feature on Jake Reed on the Spanning the Need podcast in the show notes for this Education Matters episode. And while you're online, make sure you subscribe to Education Matters wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss a thing. If you have a topic you'd like to hear about on this podcast, email me at educationmatters at ohea.org. Until next time, stay well. Stay well.